Hello, this is message number 24 of the Sermon on the Mount series from Bethel Baptist Church of Oskaloosa. Today, May 3rd, we will look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 15 with Pastor Cox. As we continue in our uh, ministry of the Word, we are going to be looking at a, a part of Scripture today. It's beware of false prophets, false teachers. Uh, and uh, that's going to be uh, from Matthew chapter uh, 7 and verse 15. Now, uh, after giving the uh, invitation uh, to enter by the narrow gate, as we looked at uh, last week, by the only way that God has provided, Jesus warned us. He gave us this information. Not everyone who claims to belong to God and to speak for Him actually does. When we stand at the crossroads of decision, we should remember that the true way to God is the narrow way and that false way is broad. The true way is difficult and demanding and the uh, false way is easy and permissive. The true way is reflective of few that were willing to follow it, and the false way has many who are willing to make that trek. Jesus now says, in effect, this. As you strive to enter that narrow gate and to walk the narrow way that leads to life, beware of those who would be misleading you. Just as there is a misleading gate and a misleading way, there is also a misleading preachers and teachers who point to that gate and promote that way. Just like the false gate and the false way, they claim to show the way to heaven and to life, but they actually show the way to hell and destruction. The false gate has false prophets standing in front of it. Those who seek to lead God's people in a false way, to hinder them from the truth. So here's our big idea this morning. Every believer must be aware of those who would lead them astray, those who would lead them off the narrow path. In the present passage... Jesus gives us a warning, then he calls us to be watchful. This morning, we are simply going to take a look at the warning that Jesus gives us. Next week, we will pick up the uh, watchfulness that Jesus calls us to be. Now, just as he described the true and the false way, he also now describes the true and false teachers of those ways. So let's begin then with the warning. From Matthew chapter 7 and verse 15, it simply says this. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. False prophets are nothing new to Israel. As long as God has had prophets, Satan has had false ones. They are seen from the earliest time of redemptive history. 
False prophets always seem to find a hearing, and they're often encouraged by those who are displeased with God's ways. Often, when, when people are displeased with the, the way that God is handling things, the way God is doing things, many times people just they get upset with that, and they just go the wrong direction. Here's, a, here's an example. From chapter 5, Through chapter 23, we see the man of God, Jeremiah, repeatedly standing against the false prophets by whom his people were being terribly misled. So, false prophets are called false brothers, false apostles, false teachers, false speakers, that is, is really liars, false witnesses. And false Christ. The Apostle John tells us this. Therefore, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 1. Paul's last words to the Ephesian elders, whom he met them uh, for a farewell on the beach of Miletus included a somber warning about the inevitability of false teachers. I know, Paul says, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be On alert, Acts chapter 20. So here's the point this morning. There has always been a large market for false prophets. Because most people do not want to hear the truth. They just just don't want it. You know, uh, uh, Timothy talks about uh, heaping people together with itching ears and wanting them to hear uh, what they have to say. Prefer, the people prefer to hear pleasant and flattering things, even if it's false, even if it's dangerous. It's over what is, is, is unpleasant and flattering, even if it's true and helpful, it, it doesn't make any difference. So I have a number of things I want to walk through as we talk about these false prophets. And we're going to begin simply with the definition, if you will, of false prophets. From the beginning, God's redemptive work on behalf of fallen mankind, his true representatives have been marked by two things. Number one, they are divinely commissioned. And number two, they present a divine message. They're called by God, and they declare the message of God and only that message. A true prophet is God's voice to men. Now, the most dangerous characteristic of false prophets, however, is that they, too, claim to be from God and to speak on his behalf. An appalling and horrible thing has happened in the land, God told Jeremiah. The prophets have prophesied falsely, and the priests rule on their own authority, and my people love it so. You ever seen that in Jeremiah? That is an amazing, 
Amazing statement. Let me give it to you again. An appalling and horrible thing has happened in the land. God tells Jeremiah, the prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests rule on their own authority, and my people love it so. Jeremiah chapter 5. The scribes and the Pharisees were classic examples of false shepherds. In the name of leading and caring God's people, uh, they instead led them further and further from his ways. Posing as God's spokesman, they, they used the people to feather their own ecclesiastical nest. They cared nothing really for the people of God. They were viciously self-seeking and self-serving. When Jesus completely unmasked their deceit and their hypocrisy, it's no wonder that they crucified him. Just spend a little bit of time reading through Matthew chapter 23. He lit them up, and that lit a fire under them to do everything they could to crucify him. Let's look at the dangers of false prophets. In our text, it says, beware. Now, beware always warns of danger. It, it's not a call to simply notice or to sense something, but to be on guard against something because it's harmful. The word conveys the idea of holding the mind at bay, holding the mind away. False prophets are more than just wrong. They're dangerous. And we ought not even expose our minds to them. They pervert the thinking, the poisoning of the soul, if you will. They are more dangerous than a cobra or a tiger because those animals can only harm the body. False prophets are spiritual beasts and are immeasurably more dangerous than any physical beast. Peter and Jude call them unreasonable animals. Peter goes on to warn this, that they, he says, deceive unstable souls, luring them into their jaws through the lust of the flesh. 2 Peter chapter 2. Now in Palestine, wolves were the most common natural enemy of sheep. They roamed the hills and the valleys looking for sheep that had strayed from the flock or lagged behind. When a wolf found such a sheep, it was quickly attacked and torn to pieces. Even a grown, healthy sheep was utterly defenseless against a wolf. A wolf is known for being merciless and ferocious. The word ravenous here is also translated swindler in a number of references, and, and it refers metaphorically to those who deceitfully and mercifully ravage a person's money or a person's possessions. False prophets and wolves are clever, and they're wily, and are always on the lookout for new victims. Prophets and those who follow false prophets are dangerous to God's people, as ravenous wolves are to sheep. Be on guard. Beware, is what Jesus is saying here. Let's look at the deception 
of the false prophets. The danger of the false prophets is greatly increased because of their deception. When an enemy is seen for what he is, we are alerted. We can be prepared. We can defend ourselves. You understand that? Nod your heads. Okay? All right? But listen to me. When an enemy positions themselves as a friend, our defenses are down. Dogs and swine of verse 6, Matthew 7, verse 6, are much more easy to be recognized because of their open sinfulness and their rejection of God. The problem is we don't always see the danger in front of us. In Old Testament times, prophets were recognizable on some extent by what they wore. Like Elijah, they were often wore rough, hairy, uncomfortable clothing as a symbol of their foregoing the normal comforts of life for the cause of God. In the same manner, shepherds inevitably wore woolen clothing made from the wool of the sheep that they tended. That is the, the, the wording here, sheep's clothing, of which Jesus speaks. It's the shepherd who wore the sheep's clothing, and it was uh, him impersonating, if you will, the sheep, but by impersonating the shepherd. The, the wolf is not impersonating the sheep. The wolf is impersonating the shepherd who wears the sheep's clothing as a form of their own garment. Now, just as the ancient false prophets wore the garments of the true prophet, so the false prophets often disguise themselves as the true shepherd. Satan's man goes under the guise of God's man, claiming, claiming to teach the truth in order to deceive and to mislead, and if possible, even destroy God's people. So, Scripture speaks of three basic kinds of false teachers. And I'm going to go through these somewhat quickly, but um, we begin with this one. Heretics are those who openly, just openly reject the Word of God and teach what is absolutely contrary to divine truth. Okay? Heretics are those who openly reject the Word of God and teach what is contrary to divine truth. Apostates, apostate teachers, are those who once followed the truth but have turned away from it, rejecting it, and trying to lead others astray. So the idea here is that the apostate was once a believer of some sort, once followed the true faith, but turned away from it, rejected it, and trying now actively to lead others away. These two kinds of false teachers at least have virtue of a certain, there's a certain honesty to them, if I could say it that way, that they do not claim to represent orthodoxy or any sort of biblical Christianity. The heretic and the apostate both have turned their backs in no uncertain terms upon God. 
False teachers or the deceivers, on the other hand, give the appearance of orthodoxy frequently with great declaration and fanfare. He is not a liberal or a cultist, but one who speaks favorably of Christ, the cross, the Bible, the Holy Spirit, and so on, who associates with true believers. He may go out of his way to be orthodox, fundamental, evangelical, from his looks, vocabulary, associations. He gives considerable evidence of genuine belief. But he is not genuine, folks. He is a fake. He is a deceiver. His speech has, is the speech of orthodoxy, but he is living a lie. False prophets almost always are pleasant and positive. They like to be with Christians. They like to talk to Christians. They like to be identified with Christians. They know and use biblical terminology to often appear to be highly knowledgeable about the Scriptures. Doctrines they affirm seem are seemingly biblical. Many false prophets appear to be sincere, and because of that sincerity, they can more easily mislead others. They have become so deeply devoted to falsehood that darkness seems to be light and black seems to be white. So ask yourself this question. If they are so deceptive, how in the world can they be identified? Most frequently, they show their true colors by what they do not affirm. Okay? Let me say that again. Most frequently, they show their true colors by what they do not affirm. In other words, they are identified not so much by what they say as what they don't say. They usually don't openly deny Jesus' divinity. They don't openly deny the substitutionary atonement, the depravity and lostness of man, the reality of the penalty of sin, the destiny of hell for unbelievers, the need for repentance, humility, and submission to God, and, and other such negative and uncomfortable truths. They simply ignore them. In order to carry out their deceit effectively, these leaders live moral and upright lives on the surface. Outward morality helps give the impression of a spiritual genuineness and therefore helps perpetrate the deceit. Let me just say this. The day and age in which we live in, you don't have to look too far. You don't have to look too hard. Has more of its share than Christ merchants. Through books, radio, television, recordings, in church conferences, seminars, crusades, and by a plethora of other means, they package and sell the gospel 
in much the same way Madison Avenue sells cars and soap. They are insecure peddlers of the Word of God who corrupt it for their own ends. I want to end with this one, the damnation of false prophets. Verse 19 tells us, Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So the destiny of false prophets is really implied in this verse. Now it's made explicit in both the preceding passages and the following passages and many other places in Scripture. But I just wanted to touch on this for for just a moment because there is coming a day when every tree that does not bear good fruit will be cut down, will be thrown into the fire. Because they enter the wide gate and they travel the broad way, their end is destruction. So let me draw this to a conclusion by asking what I think is a very penetrating question. Did my decision for Christ change my life? Did my decision for Christ change my life? Now here's my thought. False prophets who teach false doctrine can only produce false righteousness. The true fruit of their ministry is false and it cannot last. The prophets themselves are false. The closer we get to them, the more danger we find ourselves in. They magnify themselves and not Jesus. And their purpose is to exploit people and never edify them. The person who believes false doctrine or who follows a false prophet will never have a changed life. I don't have time this morning to get into the whole area of easy believism and, and, and just to, to make a, uh, some sort of uh, non-commitment commitment to God. I don't have time for that this morning. Maybe another time. But the reality is, is we must recognize that we have a changed life that God has impacted us and the problem with this statement the person who believes in false doctrine or follows a false prophet will never experience that changed life is sadly some people don't realize this until it's too late father this morning we simply come before you and we ask that question There is much to be said about false prophets. There is much to be said about those who do not follow the narrow way. And how easy it is for us to be drawn to the things that do not edify, that do not bring the praise and the glory of God. Father, we must be on our guard. As Jesus said, beware, be aware, be on guard. 
Father, this morning, help us to examine our hearts. Have we made that decision for a changed life? How has our decision for Christ changed our lives? Father, this morning, give us wisdom. Help us to seek you and to know you in a personal way. We love you this morning, Father. We give you the praise and the glory for this time now. In Jesus' name, amen.